You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show. You know, the coolest thing about dentistry is you can pick your own path. You don't have to do it how anybody else does it. You can figure out who you are and you can chart a course for your practice. It's super cool. And today I bring back a great friend of ours from the Act Dental community, Dr. Will Kelly. And he takes you on a path that isn't like anyone else's on the non-traditional path to creating your own practice. Please listen to this. You'll see a very cool journey from a very cool person. Hope you guys enjoy it and we'll see you soon. Welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. You know the jam around here. I get to talk to the coolest people ever and share some wisdom and advice with you so you guys can create a better practice and better life. And today we're going to do exactly that with a dear friend of mine from a long time ago and currently, you know, Dr. Will Kelly, who practices in Gastonia. Um, And we're going to talk about that in your journey here. And it's going to be more of a philosophical conversation around there's blessings all around you. So, Will, thanks for being on, brother. I appreciate you. Man, I love it. It's it's fun to spend time with friends, obviously, and it's an honor to be on here with you. Yeah. So, let's do this. You have a a non-conventional story. Like, uh, you didn't even, like, take us through this whole journey. I, wanna, I want listeners to hear your story and uh, how you all got started doing dentistry and all that kind of stuff. So, take us back. You got it. Well, it starts. Um, I was born in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> and to take you all the way to the beginning, but I was born the same month my dad graduated from dental school. And um, he started practicing in 74, moved home to our hometown, which is outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, I was the son of a dentist. My knowledge of what a dental office looked like was from sitting in a hygiene chair and walking in sometimes after school to get a check, you know, say, hey, dad, need some money. Other than that, and no desire to be a dentist. I was an artist growing up, I guess, a kid that liked to play with Legos. Everybody said you'd make a good engineer or something like that. So I pursued that. I had sort of an art track in high school and painted a lot. Um, And I went to design school and 
sort of you start to shape mom and dad are concerned about what are you going to do with when with your life when you want to be an artist so we started shaping this idea about being an architect which is something i was always interested in growing up anyway so um went to design school at nc state and that that program there starts where there are several disciplines of design there's industrial design graphic design general design and the architecture program which all fall under that umbrella of specialties and so i went in the general design program and actually did not stick with architecture. I got really interested in inventing things and just creating things. So um, went through that whole process and um, art school's different. Mm-hmm. I was the only guy in a fraternity. I was the only guy with a collared shirt and my natural hair color and nothing pierced. And I really didn't fall in real well, but I loved it, you know, and I loved the creative process. Went all the way through, got a little disenchanted at the end. And what am I going to do with myself? So it's like the movie, The Graduate. My um, grandfather had a construction company that made roof trusses. So it's like a house made inside a factory. You put it on a truck, you reassemble it. So it's like The Graduate. I'm sitting around that summer without a job. He said, hey, you want to have lunch? Here's your desk. So I got into that for about 10 months, sitting there designing these houses where the only my job was to take all these houses that are the exact same in the neighborhood and design different roofs to go on them. So they look different. Mm-hmm. And after about 10 months, I went up to my dad and said, Hey man, I want to be a dentist. And he said, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> and the reality is he always, he never encouraged. He said, man, you lose all my tools. You're not organized. You're a mess. You'd make a terrible dentist. And ended up going to dental school. So that's where it all began. My brother is a dentist as well. He was the one when we were a kid that was always going to be the dentist. Right. Type A, organized and all that. So I think the non-traditional story is we have this story we tell ourselves about dentists. You know, they're super focused people who might kill themselves that have the highest suicide rate because they're so type A. I say, no, nah, man, it takes all kinds. Yeah, And I think a superpower in dentistry sometimes is to be a little bit different. You know, I'm dyslexic, for example, and I think that's a superpower. Right. Because your brain's all over the place and you find solutions to things sometimes. So, and I have other friends who are, you know, how many dentists do you know that are painters or great guitar players or great storytellers? And sometimes um, I value that a lot. And those are friends I try to find in the dental community because I always know they've got something yeah. that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So you went to dental school and you went to North Carolina, right? Dental school? Went, went to UNC, graduated in 2004. Um, dental school was interesting for me. I think I had a bias towards what I wanted dentistry to look like. It was like cheating. I realized a lot of people in dental school and why do you want to be a dentist to help people? And I, I like to, I like science or something like that. And I kind of went in with this attitude and cosmetic dentistry was really big at the time. I, I mean, it'd been around, but it was at its peak and the idea of just veneer and everything. And you had famous dentists that had TV shows and that's what I idealized in some way. Cause dad was doing some of that. I think out of, you know, dad was, one of 50 dentists in a 50,000 person community. And I think regarded in the top tier of that, you know, and the top percentile. And so I looked at him and I said, they're different kinds of dentists. Mm-hmm. And I know that in this room of 75 people, I want to be a different kind of dentist than everybody else in this room as well. And 
that must mean that you have to do something different than what they're teaching you here. So you start asking a lot of questions and you realize that there's a lot more to learn beyond dental school. And I think I started with that mindset before I even got there and struggled. I started asking a lot of questions. So um, it, it postured me nicely when I got out of dental school and got whooped by the first day of work. You know, I mean, I was like everybody else, just thrown into it and struggling. You think you know everything. You think you're the best thing that ever happened in dentistry until you put your hands in somebody's mouth and go, <laughs> So um, the blessing was um, my periodontist here in town was frustrated with his referral base, sending a bunch of junk and wanted to take a group to the Panky Institute. And the majority of people were somewhere between three to seven years into practice. And I was weeks out, but got bumped in and asked. And that was just one of those outliers where I went along. Um, I went with a lot of ego and um, thought I knew everything. I could tell I annoyed the instructors a lot the first couple times. In fact, Erwin Becker took me out to lunch and after the third continuum and said, basically, young man, don't come back. Really? Until you're ready. Oh, okay. So um, it wasn't don't come back, you're terrible. It's just he wanted to see a little more maturity, I guess. That's all I mean. That was a gift. But the funny thing, one of my instructors was Todd Davis, um, who was, I would regard as the best big brother and greatest mentor ever. And 20 years later, we still have a relationship. So Todd um, was going to start a study club and in Atlanta in his office, kind of your typical panky side group study club where you have what I consider kind of a grandfather level mentor. And then the father level mentor, sort of the facilitator. So we were blessed to have time together twice a year with Todd Davis and Rich Green. And that's just, you know, I didn't even know who I was going to see. And it turns out I was seeing, to me, it, it almost makes me cry to think how special Rich is. And yeah. I've already done that once this year because right. we've celebrated him teaching at the Institute for the last time. But And I, I broke into tears trying to tell him thank you, but it, it's that special. And um, so did that with Todd and Rich for years. Uh, 10 years, I was with my colleague who I call my accountability partner, Will Current, um, which I think is an important thing. We ought to put a thumb on that for another conversation. For sure. But um, Will pushes me so much. And Will started a study club where he's the facilitator and Todd's the big granddad now. And um, I joined that a little later when we kind of got to a place where the group was calibrated and I need to jump in. And um, we've been doing that. So about 20 years of study clubs. I still haven't graduated from Payton, but I love the place. It's a, it, the philosophy and the influence it's had on my practice is, is phenomenal. I, yeah. can't, I can't. It's just one of those gifts that keeps giving. Um, yeah. And now when, you, saw, went, when yeah, you went to Panky, so um, did you start? So take us through the journey after that. So when you came back, did you start in practice right away in Gastonia? Like how did you get started and established in Gastonia? So I went into my father's practice. He had an associate. They're super busy, small office. Every operatory was jamming. They definitely worked two rooms at a time. So there are four dental operatories going wide open and four hygienists getting checked and three people sitting up front going and going. When that dentist left, I displaced him. And that was a gift to him because he started a great practice in another town. 
and no animosity. There was a little rough transition for a week and everybody got over it. But I came into this place and I had to fill the shoes of somebody that's 10 years in and very experienced and very loved. And I thought people loved me too. And you learn real quick, you have to earn people's trust. And I don't have any of it. So um, I had to build from there. I worked for four years for my dad. My brother came in three years later. The space was getting a little tight and we decided to build a new facility. So we built a new office in 2008 and it's the one we're in today. And we just discussed the possibility of how to make it look. And rather than have a big family, multiple family practice, my brother's wife is a dentist as well. So we're going to be four of us eventually. Um, I just said, man, I kind of want to be by myself. This isn't the feel that I like. I don't like the chaos. It's not just about how I like to practice dentistry. It's how I enter a room and that needs to be there. I think I need to move that chair a little bit where I like <laughs> it before I settle in to watch TV and it needed to be smaller. So I went out and started um, on my own in the same building with my dad and brother across the way. So it's like a shopping mall, two different department stores, same roof. You know, and that confuses people to know in when they call. Mm-hmm. But it's worked for I guess, seven, 16, 17 years. And that's when I met you, right when I moved right. here. Um, the systems that we use today, I give tremendous credit to that time. And and they they stand the test of time, for sure. They're a real gift. I, I didn't even know I was getting into it. I just said, yeah, my buddy Will hired you and said, well, if he's doing it, it must be a good idea. Yeah, no, it's and really. I, prob- I probably wasn't even ready yet. Well, there's still things that I pulled out. Yeah. And I need to work on that. They're 15 years old. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I can't say enough about how much that influenced our practice as well. Well, I learned as much from you guys as, you know, hopefully I, we taught you guys, but the cool thing I've mentioned you guys many times on this podcast, it's the two wills, you know, it's Will Current and Will Kelly from Gastonia. And I want you to just speak about Gastonia, you know, just uh, you've built a great little practice. Now, the message being this podcast is this. It's kind of an un, a non-traditional path. You carved your own path. And what I want dentists to know is you don't have to follow anyone else's plan. I think one of the biggest pieces, Will, is you figured out who you were. You still know who you are. You still know who you want to be. And with that, you can create whatever you want in dentistry, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's my message. You got to be unique and be yourself. Yeah. Um, and if you're trying to live in somebody else's shoes, you're never going to be happy. Right. I, I always tell people, let's say you like something crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's say you love listening to ACDC all day long while you're drilling teeth. You know what practice you're going to have 10 years later? ACDC fans. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just be myself. And it tends to be people that appreciate who I am. And it makes a day go by a lot easier. And I appreciate them in return. You know, you're just able to have a nice relationship that way. Just be in yourself. Yeah. And I think when you take these cookbooks and you try to live through them, you force yourself into somebody. Now, you need to grow into a lot of what you learn there. But you always have to weigh that against being true to yourself and your values and assessing that all the time. Yeah. So. Uh, and you credit that's that. Been, that's a big piece of the values. And then you also said this before we hit the go button you know, how to filter. You always want to stay who you are. You get a lot of calls in your office. Right, one, of the fe- right. one of the fears people have is like, if I really go out in the world and create a practice where I'm doing the right thing, you know, that I want to do for patients and I get paid my full fee, no one's going to come 
to my office. No one's going right. to call, but that's not true, right? Right. And and that's problematic and a blessing on so many levels. One, I would say, you know, if you're familiar with the tier two versus tier three practice and everybody sort of idealizes this tier three fee for service practice versus an insurance dependent one where you're more commodity driven. There's this balance between deciding whether you're recruiting people as tier two patients to train them and filter through to be in the tier three patient, which is how I spent most of my career. I'm making a pivot here at about 50 years old where I'm saying that takes a lot of effort, you know, and it takes a system that I'm maybe not willing to have anymore. And you say, what if I'm just smaller and we keep getting smaller and smaller, but the numbers stay the same. Right. The time we work gets smaller and smaller. It's more intentional, but it seems to keep working. The hardest thing is when we were building this building, my dad said, we need to build it on that corner. That's the magic corner. That's where all everybody lives here and everybody works there. And we're right in the middle and they'll all drive fastest and they'll walk to the door and ask for an appointment. The problem is they do all day long. We don't have time to service. I hate to say it, but the, well, why are you here? Well, I've got insurance. Mm-hmm. Why are you here? Building look pretty. And I've got a toothache. And of course, those are blessings on a slow day. But when you're just trying to operate in the world, imagine a, an ideal day where you show up to work, you have some coffee, you greet your patient at 830 or something, chit chat for 15 minutes, and then do some amazing dentistry from nine to two or something, which is, I think, is an ideal day. Mm-hmm. And then you throw your feet back on the desk and smile at the end and call them at seven o'clock at night and make sure everything's good. Yeah. You can't do that with chaos everywhere or I can't right in the systems that I have. So that's what we've tried to create. And we're always trying to make sure that it works yeah. and it just usually does. Yeah. To be honest. And um, you've kind of moved into a little bit of a mentor role, you know, and you being a part of these study clubs, I'm sure you have these conversations with dentists that are earlier on the path. Take us into one of those conversations. Like, what do yeah, you, I mean, man, well, I'll tell you one that stuck with me harder than anything. Todd Davis is a tough big brother. With me, he I mean, he's going to pull the skeletons out of the closet. He's going to pinch you where it hurts under the ribs, and then you're going to look at him and say, man, I, thanks. Thank you for what I just learned today. And so we were having a hard conversation one day, and Todd said, man, let's talk about treatment acceptance. I said, well, Okay, and are you keeping up with your numbers? Pretty good, actually. You know, I hit it at the end of the month and look at everything. So how are you doing? 60 65%. And Todd looked at me like, yeah, that is terrible. I said, yeah, I mean, I wish it could be a little better. I'd love to jump up in the 70s or something. I'd feel pretty good if I could get that. I'd have more to do than I could ever imagine. I said, what's your treatment acceptance, Todd? He said, oh, I'd say about 95%. I said, man, that's impossible. There's no way. Nobody has 95% treatment acceptance. He said, that's easy, Will. Uh, you're presenting treatment to people that hadn't asked for your help yet. Wow. Now tell us what that means. Like go a little deeper oh, in that. So, and, and that goes to the core, I think, of what we learned from Rich and Todd in the study club. I mean, so the, so the basis of this club, we were called the Tanner Appliance Study Club. So technical. But what we're really learning is how to connect and be people-centered. 
and through the whole thing. Really, I think when you look at the process of how I practice and what I've learned from them is create experiences for people that value their own health. Nobody acts in their own against their own self-interest. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, if you can just take something so uncomfortable, of course, everybody hates going to the dentist, but if you could take something so uncomfortable and just earn enough of that person's time for them to get there where they, they go, gosh, this person cares and then start showing them some things and things more than their chief complaint. You go a little bit farther, a little bit farther until all of a sudden they say, hey, so what can we do about that? Mm-hmm. You don't tell them what you, you never tell them what you can do about that. Right. Until they ask for help. And it's counterintuitive. You're actually going slower to go farther, right. don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. And then once they ask for help, of course, the responsibility is on you to present it in a way that's, in their best self-interest that they can understand, which yeah. is a lot of times really complicated. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's always the biggest riddle of how to practice dentistry is how to not send somebody to a semester of dental school when you're presenting the treatment plan. Yeah. And it happens on that front end. And when you invest in that, you earn the trust. And it's not carte blanche. Of course they have to make their own decisions, but they're, they're doing it in a way where they're going to benefit the end. So, yeah, that's some of those early mentoring conversations, I'd say for sure. But for me, I think I'm just getting to the place where I'm finding, gosh, I've got a couple of gray hairs up here. Maybe it's my turn mm-hmm. a little bit. Selfishly, I've held out some. I have four kids, you know, yeah. you gotta, that's a responsibility to raise them. First, we're reaching that place where people start asking questions and it naturally comes where you want to help. Um, I, I read something the other day. This is an old one, you know, it, I'm, I like in these quote other people, but it was something like the definition of civilization is when old men plant trees that they'll never sit under the shade of. Oh yeah. You know, I think it's a Greek proverb or something. That's rich green, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, what did I do to get deserved to hang out with this guy? Yeah. It's very cool. He's a great man and Todd as well. And I think it just points to the whole fact. I mean, when you mentioned Irwin, you look at the journey any of us have ever had, there's always a ton of people at those, you know, forks in the road saying, go that way, go that way. And without them, it makes it a tough journey. And so if you're a dentist that feels a little bit alone, don't worry that it happens. But I think once you get back on the path, there's, that's what's so cool about this profession. It's an extremely noble profession. There's a lot of people you can reach out to and they'll say, come on over to my office. Let me help you. You know, haven't you found that to be true? Absolutely. Um, I have people help, or excuse me, people ask me occasionally to help them. But more than that, I found sometimes nobody's going to help you unless you ask. Right. You have to ask. And as soon as you ask, first of all, have you ever met anybody that doesn't like to talk about themselves? Yeah. It's, anybody. Right. So even if they're not that person, in a way, they get to celebrate their success and seeing you be successful. So even if the person you're learning from isn't one of these master teacher mentor type of people that I've been blessed to run into, you still can glean things from so many places. And all you have to do is ask. Yeah. Beyond that, there are people that know and reach a maturity, I think, in their learning curve where the learning's in the teaching. And when you magically find these people, 
um, you'll know who they are and they're everywhere. Right. Um, I, I think the, the key to that is just always knowing we have so many blind spots and we're surrounded by all this stuff every day that could help us. And sometimes the first time you hear from these guys, you don't hear it. I think Rich Green taught me the same thing every six months <laughs> for seven years, but I heard it on like the sixth year. Right. You know, and the thing is, he was patient enough to keep repeating what he valued the very most because he knew that that he knew the first time this guy's not going to get this. Right. Well, I, he has to experience it. I just can't tell him where to go. Yeah. I have, to, and a good mentor has that ability to set you on a path and to go serve to solve a riddle for yourself. Totally. A great mentor. That's I felt so cool. they get you to think. And number two, what you said is so true is like, they all have a teacher's heart. Like Todd's got a teacher's heart. Rich Green's got a teacher's heart. You know, they, they enjoy watching you struggle. Sometimes they enjoy watching you grow. They also ultimately want the best for you, but there are some lessons we just got to learn and they're willing to be with you through those, through the mud. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want you to talk about this. So you said something pretty cool. That's never been said. I've done over six. No one's ever said the speakeasy of dentistry. Now I'm going to say this beforehand. You got to follow Will Kelly on Instagram. Like your, yours is actually one of my favorite and I'm not a big social media guy, but like it's a, it's a very sophisticated, cool, like when I, I, I do look forward to seeing your posts, I'm like, wow, that looks like fun. What kind of bourbon is he trying today? Like, it's just like a good, it looks like you're enjoying life a little bit. And then you mentioned speakeasy of dental practice. Explain the philosophy behind that. Well, it goes back to when we were talking about the building and the filters and, and people just pouring in. Um, sometimes I think there are days when the lobby and the phone's ringing and it's, the, you know, do you take Medicaid or whatever, where I wish I wasn't as accessible accessible, excuse me. And uh, I guess that speakeasy ideas. What if you earn a place where people are seeking you enough that your office is a little hidden, that the phone number is a little bit harder to get through that, um, you know, if you think about it, you walk into McDonald's, you don't walk into a four star restaurant and just grab a seat yourself without being seated, just being a level deeper. And, and of course you have to earn that. And uh, I don't know if I'm there yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I just disappeared into a dark alley that I could survive right now, but I think it's a vision or a goal that I have for later on in, in the practice life. Um, one thing that's become pretty special to me, and we talk about practicing in the small town we're in, um, is to some degree, I have to be a regional dentist. Um, it's more than just, you know, maybe not everybody's buying what I'm selling this year in my hometown. And there's more than one of me here, you know, Will's a mile up the street providing a very similar service. And a few other colleagues I have that, you know, that comes across the patients, like their choice is here too. It's not like you just get everything. Right. And we don't market, you know, we're not dropping pamphlets from helicopters. Of course, the marketing's all um, referral. And so the, the idea of the speakeasy is what if the specialist sent you everything? which mm -hmm. has been a really big, big part of my success, fortunately, is having specialists that support our practice 
we could talk about how to make that happen. You know, I mean, it's more than just being their buddy or right. sending them donuts, you know. Um, the other part, and I learned this from you, is you never let a thank you go to waste. And if somebody stops for a minute to show their appreciation in your practice, say, you have no idea how much that means to me. Mm-hmm. And I need you to replace yourself yeah. with somebody that would appreciate this as much as you. And that's become regional. You know, well, my mom lives about 45 minutes away, but she's never going to find somebody that she could get into this relationship with what you just did for me. And it kind of grows that way where um, I think that's the beauty of a small town. Um, There are other small towns around small towns as well. Right. You know, so it's not a stigma to be here. You know, you think Dr. Pankey was in a small town. Um, Bob Barkley was in a small town. All these hero guys, they're all little Midwestern small towns and stuff. So um, I don't think the small town is something to scare you away. No. And, you know, again, you're in Gastonia, which isn't like... And I love Gastonia, and I we've used that town as a, as an example. It's a wonderful town, but it's not Charlotte, you know. And so, one of the fears that people have coming out of dental school is I can't go to a smaller town. I got to go to a bigger city. Or can you speak to that? Yeah, and you know, I grew up here. My family's literally been here since the Revolutionary War, um, and Charlotte, but primarily in Gastonia. So, um, it's just it was natural to come home. Dad said, hey, you can go anywhere. You can literally practice dentistry anywhere in the world, but I'm here for you if you want me to mentor you and help you get started. And of course, who's saying no to that? But um, it's a lovely place to raise your kids. You know, it's small. It's the four seasons. There's no reason to not come here, but it's not Charlotte. Right. And um, most of my friends that I graduated from high school with moved to Charlotte and are still there. So I have very few peers I grew up with that came home. You're kind of the oddball that came back to the place. I have people that come say, I don't know how you live here. This place is a dump. I can say that. You can't say that, but I can no. say it. This is the perception. You know, everybody from Charlotte, what a dump. And, you know, there are pockets of beauty everywhere. Yeah, generally when you go from one side to the other, it's it's sort of the broken down rust belt looking broken industrial place um but i love practicing here i love it was a book that you got me to read 15 years ago seth godin or something like that and i had this little story about the shoe salesman you remember it yeah i I can't remember what the name of the book was um he's written many great ones this story so there's a, a shoe company and they're interviewing people to be salesmen and um the first guy comes in they said, so here's where we're going to send you. The market's a little different. It's a primitive village down in the Amazon jungle. And the guy said, you're crazy. They don't even wear shoes. Right. And the second guy says, what an opportunity. Nobody has shoes. Yeah. And I've always stuck with that one in a town like this. I mean, their teeth here. People, now there's a caries problem. There's a smoking issue. You know, there's general health problems here that challenge you in ways that maybe places with higher socioeconomic values don't have. I don't know. But if you're looking to solve problems or situations in health, there are plenty of them to go around. Yeah. So that's a starting place. You'll never go hungry. Yeah. And when you're a dentist in a place like this, but people still value taking care of themselves here. 
Yeah. Period. It doesn't matter where you are. You know. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Here's one thing I want to. What's the next chapter look like for you? You've written a pretty amazing book. What's the next chapter for you? Man, I don't know. We tease around sometimes. Um, you know, I had uh, one of your act people even say, "Will, do you really want to be a dentist?" A while back, when there were some struggles, and say, "Great question," because I have a lot of hobbies <laughs> besides being a dentist. My self identity is not wrapped. I don't like to be introduced at a party as, "Hey, here's Will, the dentist." I'd rather right. be, "Here's Will, the person." Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'd really like to pursue some creative things. Um, I think that I'd love to write a book. I wrote one for the fun of it, kind of self-published. It's not edited, but it felt real good to do that. I'd love to learn how to do some portrait painting, wildlife art, something that I'm talented, but it's like shooting free throws or having a golf swing. If you're not out there practicing every day, you know, and this, I've never sold art. I've always given it as gifts. That's my excuse for it not being perfect. Right. But I think the sort of thing that's going to make that special is to make, you know, there's a responsibility when you make it a business to do it the right way and not say, ah, here's the excuse. Forgot the last chorus of the song because nobody paid me to sing it anyway and really perfect some things that I've sort of made master, jack of all trades, master of none. I'd like to master some of those. But I think in the next dental chapter is this cool place where it being the fear and burden of running a practice is not on you anymore. And the thing where people are, you know, they're running away from industry or selling their practice to a DSO or whatever. It's the opposite of that. It's like, this has become so what I call playing by ear instead of reading the sheet music. Right. Where it allows you to feel comfortable in what you've achieved and then really have crazy places you can explore with what's next. And I don't know what's next. I have this vision for a practice that I've had a really long time that I've never achieved. And I'd like to live that out. Um, it's top secret. <laughs> You're not going to share that with us, huh? Yeah. It's, it's sort of in my head space and it's kooky, but it's just really different than the conventional model. And I think that it's funny. Sometimes people say, well, if you've let that vision live in your head for so long, what's keeping you from doing it? Right. It's fear. But you reach a point where do I retire or just try something crazy? Mm-hmm. And I think the problem, if you release that, it might explode. Yeah. It might just actually work. And um, so thinking that way, I think I don't want to wait till I'm an old man that doesn't have any energy. I might need to start pursuing that a little sooner. Well, we're going to do a follow-up as you start to go down that path and figure out what the heck it is. I have no doubt that whatever you decide to do, you're going to do it well. So, Well, thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. I like the encouragement because it takes a lot, you know? Well, and I, I'll just say this. Like, I really love your story. I love Will Current's story. I mean, just getting to know you guys, Todd's story. And I think the, the coolest thing about this, and if you listen to podcasts, is really finding heroes out there that have done it their own way. You don't have to do it anybody else's way. And there's there are blessings everywhere. And dentistry is an amazing profession if you can choose to look at it that way, you know, and you got to find the right people. You got to have some good clarity around where you want to go and you can ultimately make that happen. So give us some final thoughts on this, Will, you know, for anybody that's listening. Yeah. Final thoughts are, um, you know, it fits kind of in the panky philosophy. You got to know yourself. Right. 
and you need to define your values. You need to align what you do to your values. You're only going to do what you know what you value. At the end of the day, the things on your to-do list that you don't follow up on are the things you didn't value enough to take the time to do it. So clarify that a lot and and chase your dreams. Be yourself, and um, the world will kind of fall in for you real well. And if it's not, you need to reassess. Amen. But um, yeah, just pick some flowers along the way and smell them, man. Life's too short to, to to go to bed with your stomach turning every night. You know? I, yeah, I hear you, brother. Man, thank you so much for being on. I always appreciate you, man. Awesome, man. It's an honor. I love talking to you. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to figure out a cool way to do this in addition to the podcast and get us all together and uh, share some good laughs. So thanks. That sounds for- great. Yeah. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. We'll stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. And really, it's important to listen to heroes like Dr. Will Kelly in this profession so that if you're out there thinking about where you want to practice, you know, you can do it. You can pick where you want to practice. You can pick how you want to practice. And you can even pivot. If you want to, at some point in your career, the coolest thing is you make the rules. And uh, I hope we got that today. So until we see you guys next time or you hear from us next time, keep watching or keep listening to the Best Practices Show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm gonna spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.